Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. But today we're going to go into part three of this series called Living in the Zone. And this has been a series where we've been really looking at the times and the seasons. Um, but we've been looking at this one Greek word called kairos, and it's mentioned a few times in the New Testament in some places. So every time the Bible in the New Testament talks about times and seasons, it's not always talking about Kairos time. But when Kairos time is mentioned, which is a Greek word, it is a God-appointed time. It's a different type of time. And not every time is just like a special time appointed for God to do something special in the moment. There's just some seasons more special than others that God has for us. And, and I really believe that they, these are those times that whether we realize or not, we want to look at all the bad in the land. We want to look at everything, all the distractions, and it gets our eyes off of the kingdom of God and off of Christ. I mean, if all we're focused on, and I'm not trying to be mean or anything, you know I don't preach politics, I just don't. But if all you're focused on is the election, and you're focused on just COVID-19, and you're focused on all of those things, then you're going to live in a life of anxiety, a life of fear, and a lot of people live a life of anger when they look at those things. So I want to challenge you to just get your eyes upon God in this special season. Let, let God speak into your life. And uh, we talked about that, and on first Wednesday this week, we've done part two, and we really went in and dove in, what is the zone? How do we embrace the zone? And then in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about living in excellence, what it means to have an excellent spirit. Uh, and, and not only that, but more of the embracing the zone, not just being how to be in the zone, but the embracing it. So today, as we look at that, this part three, I want to focus on the anointing of God. I want to focus really our scripture, the Nazarite anointing, uh, how Nazarite consecration leads to anointing. I believe the level that you live your life when no one else is looking is the level of anointing that you will live in. And if you live in a life that's just pure hell during the week and you expect God to give you an anointing to be effective in society, it's just not going to happen. But when you live like heaven, like God's called you to, in relationship with God in prayer, not because you feel judged, not because you feel condemned, but because you're just madly in love with God. And when you do that, you just can't help to do what is right because there's such a motivation out of that relationship with Christ that empowers you to do the good things of God. And when you live that life, then there's an anointing and effectiveness that comes in your life that makes a difference. And you hear people, the, the phrase has been coined in the church world for years, that the anointing makes the difference, and that's so true. But let's look at Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 as we begin to build just upon this moment of this part of the series. And it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. Now, we know that we are living in what we have declared, I really believe with all my heart, that if you know the scripture and you studied it, and you, you cannot deny there's a rapture to church, cannot deny that there's a millennial reign, cannot deny that there's a seven-year tribulation, and I know that people will, will, will fight about you know, mid-trib and pre-trib and all those things, that's cool. 
I uh, heard one preacher said their pan trip. However it pans out, I'm ready. I mean, if the Lord comes, he comes, I'm ready to go. So, and some people, that's what, they're just ready no matter what. That's great. So I don't want to get in a theological debate on that, but I believe that we are in the beginning of the end times. And the end time church is a type and shadow of the Old Testament uh, Testament church, as you would look at, or Testament people when it comes to the Nazarite anointing, a people that's longing to please God. And when you look at the folks that was really coming under the Nazarite vow, they was in such relation with God that they just wanted to please God. I believe we're living in time, just like I spoke, people is wanting to please God, not just publicly, but privately because they're in such relationship with God. That they've been in worship, they've been in prayer, they've been motivated, and they just feel the presence of God hitting their life in such a way, and they come under the kingdom principles of just holy living and living for God. And the Nazarite, that word comes from the Hebrew word Nazar, which means consecrated. So the word Nazarite itself means consecrated. Consecrated means this, to be set apart as sacred, to be dedicated to sacred uses or separate one's life to a cause or to separate separate one's life to a cause. When we live for Christ, we are just separating our life for whatever God wants to do in our life. We're saying, God, I'm open. Whatever it is that you have for my life, I'm going to live in such a way that you're ready to use me at any point. And, and that, that's what's incredible about the walking with God, is that when you're really walking with Christ, and you're in relationship with Him, you wouldn't believe the moments and the God moments that God gives you. Last night, we have some really good friends in from South Carolina at my parents' house, and they came in, and, and one of their family members had passed, and they're like family. And, and basically, they are family, but not blood family, but we, we count each other family, have since they moved to South Carolina in the mid-'80s. But we, we were just really tight with them. But I was listening to Chris and talk about all the things that God has been doing lately. And I'm just sitting there thinking, about this message that I was just listening to her talk to my mom and talk to this lady by the name of Debbie. And, and they're really discussing in depth about the move of God. And, and I'm like, you know, when we live our life for God, uh, ready for him to do anything in our lives, those sudden things always happen in our life. Because whether you feel it or not, you're the anointed of God. You know, some people think, well, I'm anointed when I really feel the Spirit. I've heard people say, well, I'll, I'll worship when I feel the Spirit. I'm like, you know, worship has nothing to do with your feelings. Faith has nothing to do with your feelings or what you see. You worship and raise your hands and sing because you know God deserves all honor and glory. So you worship Him. And, and you live your life under God, pleasing to Him. Why? Because that's just what He's called you to. Whether you feel God or not, you're going to live right in all those times. And we all can have those stories of where just God's always doing things that really we don't, we don't even expect in certain things to happen. But because we live for Him, the anointing of God begins to work in our lives and we can discuss and we can testify about all these special happenings of God. In fact, We've looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2 throughout the series and, and that you present yourself holy and acceptable unto God. In fact, the New King James Version says, and King James Version says, that it's your reasonable service just to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. 
That is having good character when no one's looking. And, and, and you know what good character is? What good character does for you is when you live that life for Jesus in your private life, it builds an anointing because you're consecrated. But if anybody tries to attack your integrity or your reputation, what happens is that character you have under consecration for God, it always steps up and protects your reputation and protects your integrity. And this is a peculiar vow that they had in the Old Testament, talking about the Nazarite vow. These vows would be made before God and would be self-imposed, and they would have absence of certain things for the sole purpose of living under God. They didn't just do it because God said you had to do it, but they did it because they had a desire to do things for God. The vows would be, a lot of times, a Nazarite vow, when you study it out, most of them would last 30 to 60 days. It would be likened unto our 21-day fast. We're going to do some extraordinary things during this 21 day just to draw closer to God. If there's things that need to come out of my life, I'm expecting God to bring them out of my life during this time. If there's things that God needs to pour into me in this time, then that's what's going to happen. And that's what they would do 30 to 60 days. But then we have recorded in Scripture lifetime Nazarite vows. That these people really, they consecrated their entire life to an extreme level. Not everybody is meant to do that. Not everybody's called to do that. I, I read about some of the lives of certain people that have lived. Probably the greatest missionary of all time is a guy out of Germany by the name of Reinhard Monkey. No one's probably won more souls uh, to the Lord than him. I know Bill, Billy Graham's known big time in the United States, but this man would win millions in a night. I mean, he would just go and do crusades and miracles would happen. He wouldn't even be preaching about raising the dead. And people would bring their dead bodies in in different countries. And people that have been dead for four and five days and been embalmed would just raise up miraculously. And, and he wasn't even preaching on that. So he'd be preaching salvation. He'd preach 20, 25 minutes worth of a, just the gospel of Jesus Christ under such an anointing. People would come, but his private life was so consecrated. And there are certain people called to that. And we see it in Scripture with Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist. This is a call not being conformed to this world or the customs of the work of the flesh. And of course, that's what we're called to in the New Testament, is that we're not to conform to the world. That really, when people see us, they should sense something different about us. Because the anointing or a touch of the Spirit of God upon our lives, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and the New Testament tells us to lay aside every weight that would easily beset us, to deny the love of the world and embrace the call of God. In fact, a lot of this for us would look like this, laying aside the works of the flesh, which would be adultery and fornication, sexual sin, or anything that promotes sexual sin. Idolatry, which would be anything we would admire more in our life than admiring God. Can I tell you, there's nothing worth putting before God. There's nothing that, that is so special, that is, is so great, that we should admire it more than we admire God. I tell you all the time when we do our stewardship series that the number one competitor for your heart is your money. It'll compete for your heart. You know, it's okay. We all want money. There's all right wanting money and working for money and earning money. It's okay to be a millionaire. It's okay to have riches in the land. But when you allow it to be number one in your life over God, then it becomes idolatry. And idolatry, which would be anything that we admire in our heart more than God. And then also you've got different works of witchcraft in the land today. You have hatred and people living in and holding grudges. You have people causing discord or jealousy or envy or strife. 
time. Then you have seditions, which is stirring up strife and disorder in a government or an organization or in a home or a church. Some people just want to stir up trouble. Everywhere they go, they just want to stir up trouble. But these would be the works of the flesh that would compete with us not having a consecrated life. But then, of course, Scripture tells us just to pick up the fruit of the Spirit, which we know is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and gentleness, meekness, self-control, and faith. When you really study out the word faith there, that in the fruit of the Spirit, it's having a life that totally depends upon God. A life that says, you know, I know that it looks bad right now, but I'm depending upon God no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation. But the Nazarite would have an abundance of hair. They would grow out their hair, which would be a mark on their life of strength and perfection. We know Samson, he had his hair and he's long, and, and Delilah was always trying to find out his secret, and he wouldn't give up that, his hair. But baldness was a mark of physical imperfection. So we know the story of Samson. We know that Delilah finally found out that his strength was in his hair, that she cut off his hair and he was in prison and they gouged out his eyeballs. But there are spiritual Delilahs that's been sown into the church world that will cause us to compromise if we don't watch. And we see it everywhere, just like last night. I mean, my mom was telling me about someone to call her a good friend that's part of a church organization that they are believing in, in, in ordaining homosexuals to preach. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and people come to me and say, why is it the church world just hates on homosexuality? Well, you know, it's no different sexual sin. So you can look at it, you can go into the different judgment upon your body, and, and that life itself, and you've heard me preach it before, average age of a male homosexual is 51, the average age for a female homosexual is 67. You go on above that, it's almost 70 years old for a male that's not in that lifestyle, and it's almost 80 for a female that's not in that lifestyle. So you can't tell me that there's not just some type of breaking down of the mind, and they go on medications, and they have anxiety and more worry that they live in. It's just such a curse. But just just leave all that alone. And it's still yet sexual sin. In the Bible, there's only one sin that the Bible tells us to run from and to flee from, which is sexual sin. And then also, there's only one type of sin that you sin against yourself. There's no other sin that sins against yourself in Scripture, but there's only one, which is sexual sin. And what was it that really began to entice Samson? You know, and when we compromise our life, we lose our anointing. When we compromise our character, no anointing, there's no victory. That's why we need to have a life that is consecrated unto God. If a Nazarite would touch a dead body or even an accident, he was defiled and needed to shave his head and offer a sacrifice. This is the same in the church today, that when we catch ourselves in acts that's not of God, and the Holy Spirit's dealing with us, that we need to repent. And our sacrifice is our life on the altar before God. The devil would like for us to ignore repenting and of our wrong and never repent. This would only to keep us from receiving receiving a fresh anointing from God. So what does Samson do? He marries a woman from another nation that caught his eye. He had already done some, some sinful things with her, but then God warned him not to do so. He said, listen, under this vow that you're under, you're only supposed to marry of someone of your own nation. So Samson already messed up going to another nation. Not only was Delilah from another nation, but hear me out, she was a harlot. This is where Samson had fell into something bad. Samson's disobedience caused him to break the vow of a Nazarite. 
And we had that Nazarite call today of consecration all in our life before Samson's failure and loss of the anointing. What made Samson strong was beyond physical. It was supernatural. There's no way a man in his physical strength could do the things that we talked about on first Wednesday that he could do. I mean, he told a riddle one time and messed up these guys and and took out 30 of them. He would take out a, a load of men with his bare hands. And one time he took a jawbone of a donkey and took out a thousand men And like I told you first Wednesday, that is a bad man. I mean, you were talking about Muhammad Ali was a bad man. No, no, no. This guy, a thousand men, picks up a jawbone and just goes crazy with it because he's under the supernatural anointing of God, letting us know once again, backing up Scripture, that one can put a thousand to flight. Two, ten thousand. You do the math. Three, a hundred thousand. There's something about when the people of God are consecrated, that there's not division in the home, that there's not division in the marriage, that there's not division in the church or on the job site, or we're not stirring up envy and strife, or we're not giving in to the spiritual Delilahs that try to come in and cause us to compromise spirit living. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord moved him, which means the Spirit of the Lord took possession of him in those moments. It's like the Spirit of the Lord just took over his life. Many times we think the Holy Spirit has moved when a few people dance or shout and they say something really good. And, and, And yes, maybe the Spirit has, but a lot of times that can be emotionalism too. But however, when the Holy Spirit really moves, there's such a unity in the body. It's such an edification and a building and a momentum spiritually that begins to take place with a bond of peace among everybody that's there. Samson's anointing and strength really was not in his hair. It really was in his relationship with God. It just wasn't his hair. He was in relationship with the Lord. Our anointing and God working through our life is through our consecration and our relationship with God just simply letting him speak to us every day. I tell people, you put a little bit of word in you every day. Get moments for God to speak to you. That's all it takes. I remember growing up, I thought I had to spend hours with God. And, and I just couldn't do it. I'm like, man, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. And I would do it. I'd get up at 5 a.m. And I would, I, man, I would, 4.30 in the morning, I'd be out the door heading to the church. I'm saying, I want to go pray. Got the key to church. Let's pray. I'd do this for days and weeks. And I'd get down there in 10, 15 minutes. I, everything I could think of to pray, it was just, oh, I was like, man. Then I began to read about people like Smith Wigglesworth that said he, he never prayed more than 30 minutes, but he never went 30 minutes without praying. I went, man, that's praying without ceasing. Keeping God on your mind. Keeping a prayerful mind. That doesn't mean I don't have deep times of prayer because I do. And usually it's deep times of worship and deep times of just listening to the Holy Spirit is usually when I had those moments in God. But then also I realized I can talk to God all day long and if I'll just give him the attention first thing today, that throughout the day he's going to work through my life and speak to me in different times. See, his hair, Samson's hair was just a token of his vow and spoke of that relationship which gave him strength. But it really was not his total strength. His strength was in God and relationship. But the morning Samson woke up and the anointing was gone. The Bible said he woke up, he shook himself, and he did not know the Spirit of God was removed. He did not realize the anointing was lifted. Many times if you play around with sin in an unconsecrated life, you will wake up one day and not realize that your ineffectiveness in lives is gone. The morning Samson woke up, it was gone. He woke up 
in defeat and failure, he realized he had nothing without God, and he took it for granted, just like we can take our relationship with God for granted. However, God is a God of restoration and second chances. The Bible says in 1 John 1 19, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have to understand this scripture was written to church folk that needed to confess their sins. He was written to church folk that was not consecrated in moments. And he was saying it's time to consecrate your life again and we'll just confess our sins and bring our failures to God. God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our uncleanliness and bring us clean again and bring us into a state of righteousness and standing before him. God's always ready to forgive us and restore us. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.